Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 10, the verses 1 through 19. And we turn to the New Testament, the letter to the Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. First of all, we read from Isaiah chapter 10, the verses 1 through 19. Isaiah 10, verse 1. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Kelno like Karchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand I have done it, And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand has found like a nest the wealth of the peoples. And as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved a wing or opened a mouth or chirped. Shall the axe boast over him who used with it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it, as if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. Turn now to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 1. We read the verses 1 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. We are also going to read from our other confession this afternoon, from Belgian Confession, Article 13, which covers the same material as we confess in Lord's Day 10, which will be the focus of this afternoon. So, Article 13 on page 503 of our Books of Praise, we read there about the providence of God. We believe that this good God, after he had created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them that in this world nothing happens without his direction. That God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them. For his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to his action surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire further than our capacity allows us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God which are hidden from us. And we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits. This doctrine gives us inexpressible consolation, for we learn thereby that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the direction of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not one hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor one sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this we trust, because we know that he holds in check the devil and all our enemies, so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. We therefore reject the damnable error of the Epicureans, who say that God does not concern himself with anything, but leaves all things to chance. <clears throat> and then the focus for the sermon this afternoon will be God's revelation about his providence and the comfort that that gives us as the church has summarized that and we confess it 
in Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism. On page 525 of our books of praise, what do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with His hand He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by His providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love, for all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. After the preaching of the gospel, our Amen song is Psalm 16, stanzas 3, 4 and 5. Psalm 16, stanzas 3, 4 and 5 after the sermon. Beloved children of our Heavenly Father, this afternoon we speak about God's providence. God's providence is His being in complete control of all things. The big things that happen in our life, but the small things too, they all take place according to His plan. Maybe we lose our job with big consequences. That happens according to God's plan. Maybe there's a minor scratch that we notice on our car. We didn't notice that it was there before. It takes place according to God's plan. But there's more to it, congregation, that everything happens according to God's plan because we're talking about the providence of God who is our Father. You know, unbelievers can speak about the things that happen in their life. Well, it's meant to be. It happened. But the believer, he says, this thing that happened, it happened because my Father who loves me, is at work. And there's no innocent difference between those two statements. For that confession of the believer, who doesn't say, look, what's meant to be is meant to be, it just happens. But the believer says, my Father who loves me is at work. And that's why it takes place. That confession of the believer brings many benefits this afternoon we're going to pay attention to the doctrine of God's fatherly hand being full of benefits for his children. 
In our first point, we're going to look at God's fatherly hand defined. And then our second point, work out the three benefits that come from that. Confessing God's fatherly hand, first of all, works patience in adversity, it works thankfulness in prosperity, and then gives confidence for the future. The doctrine of God's fatherly hand is full of benefits for his children. First of all, God's fatherly hand defined. We talk about God's hand. It's a way of speaking about God at work in this world. Those plagues that came over Egypt came from God's hand. The fact that Israel was set free from that horrible slavery, that was from God's hand. But we speak not just of God's hand, His powerful working, but of God's fatherly hand. And that's an important qualification. The God who we're speaking about is our Father for Christ's sake. His Son laid down His life so that we sinners might be adopted, that we might be children of God. So we can speak about God as Father. And God's hand does not work arbitrarily, like some some fate, what's meant to be is meant to be. God is, is busy working towards a goal, the purpose of His plan. The coming of the kingdom. The bringing of everything into submission to Christ. That, that great and final day of judgment. And then that new earth. That's what God is working towards. That's why in everything, He's working for our good to bring us there as He leads all things to that great and final consummation. And I draw your attention to something, one of the Proverbs, that gives us something to think about in this respect. And I think of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24. And this is the proverb, What the wicked dreads will come upon him. But the desire of the righteous will be granted. So what the wicked dreads, what he's scared of is going to happen to him. And what the righteous desire, that will be granted. And when you consider the ultimate goal, that God is working towards his goal, the coming of his kingdom, bringing everything in submission to Christ, that new earth, then you can see why this proverb is true. Yes, the wicked can get away with their wickedness for a long time. But they fear that they will be found out in their wickedness and that their plans will come to nothing. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Sooner or later, they will. God's goal is certain. And by the same token, the desire of the righteous will be granted. Because ultimately a righteous person is going to desire the coming of God's kingdom, the restoration of all things. And it will happen. And God will accomplish His purposes even if maybe the individual details of how it goes in your or my life is different from what we might have expected. But overall, 
The desire of the righteous will be granted. But we still live in the present. When that glorious goal has not yet been reached. And it makes us wonder in the difficulties and brokenness that we experience in this life. And we do in various ways experience those things. Is God in control? Is God in control also when evil happens? And our confession, we make very clear the answer is, yes, God is in control. His providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with His hand He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, so that all those things come to us, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. And they are good things, leaf and blade, rain, fruitful years, food and drink, health, riches, but also drought, sickness, barren years, poverty. All come from His hand. Not just the boom times. And the money's flowing very easily. But also times of high inflation. With all the consequences that come our ways. Another rise in the interest rates in the past week. With the consequences that that has. Also, when we receive injury or lost because of another person's sin, God remains in control. That too comes from His hand. And it doesn't mean that God is the author, the originator of sin. Our God is holy. He hates sin. But still, that loss we experience as a result, that comes from His hand. No, we don't fully comprehend that, how that all works. Now, even when the wicked do their wicked deeds, we experience bad things as a result, that those things come from God's hand, and yet God is in no way the author of the sins committed. How do we put all that together in our minds? We don't need to. Our minds are small. Our God is great. We don't need to fully comprehend to confess it. All things good and bad, come from His hand. And that's why we read from Isaiah chapter 10. That's an Old Testament passage that makes it so clear how you can see God at work even in the bad things that the wicked do. Because God's people were living in disobedience. Weren't walking in the ways of the Lord. They needed to be corrected. They needed to be punished. They needed to be chastised. And what does God do? He sends that, that cruel, proud nation of Assyria against his people. And it would have been terrible. The kind of suffering, the brutality, the violence that the Assyrians in their attacking God's people would have unleashed on them. God's people would have suffered under the Assyrians, suffering from the fatherly hand of of God who was chastising His people, who was confronting them. <clears throat> but, that's what's quite striking in that passage, God turns around and says, but it's not as if Assyria is going to get away with this. I'm sending them against my people to punish them, to chastise them for my purposes with my people, but that's not why Assyria is going against my people. They are full of sinful pride. They've got their own goals and purposes in this. And when I'm finished with my people, I'm going to punish the Assyrians. 
And that brings it together in such an amazing way. God is completely in control. So as the God's people experienced the Assyrians coming against them, they knew that was from God. But those Assyrians who performed those wicked deeds against God's people would be punished for that. Man remains 100% responsible also for his wicked sins. I think too of the account of Job where such terrible things happened in the life of Job. But God gave Satan permission. It becomes very clear from how it works out. And so scriptures so clearly teach God is working even when the wicked are doing their sinful deeds that they're going to have to answer to God for one day and be punished for. God is at work carrying out his plan. You know, we, when we experience things happening in our lives, we normally see the immediate causes I get a raise. Well, the company's doing well. I can see the, the boss is happy. There's a good bottom line on the, the books. That's why I get my raise. But behind that raise and behind that decision of my boss to give me a raise stands God's hand. Well, when it comes to bad things that happen, it's a sinful, that person's sinful gossip that's Hurting me so badly. But that hurt that I'm experiencing, God's hand stands behind that. All those activists pushing anti-Christian, anti-family laws. Those things too, God is in control. It's easy to think of the things that we see, the more immediate causes as the real cause. But faith sees God's hand carrying out his plan. And what you believe, congregation, and we believe in God's providence, we confess it in Lord's Day 10, what you believe is going to affect how you live. If you believe providence, it's going to have a concrete impact on your daily lives. It'll give you patience when you go through difficulties. It will teach you to be thankful and give reasons to be thankful in prosperity. Confessing, believing God's providence gives you confidence for the future. And when we're not living like that, then the question can rightly be asked, are we denying God's providence? Because faith comes out in how we now live. And now let's unpack those three aspects in our second point, confessing God's fatherly hand, first of all works patience in adversity. Adversity, that's the bad things, the difficult things, the hurtful things that happen in our lives. And they can come from different places can come completely independent of other people, say a serious illness or a natural disaster like the earthquakes in Turkey. Adversity can also come because of people, because of other people. I think of the suffering that David went through before he was 
established as king. And why did he go through so much suffering? It was because of the wicked hatred of Saul who was persecuting him so terribly. Well, sometimes the suffering, the adversity can come because our own sins get us into a terrible mess. And whatever the immediate cause of the things we're going through, we confess that the adversities we experience come from God's fatherly hand. Even when I experience the miserable consequences of my sins, by faith, living in repentance before God, by faith I know I'm not being made to pay for my sins. Christ paid for my sins. He paid the full penalty for what my sins deserve. And even if I'm experiencing the consequences of my sins, it's the God who loves his child who put this on my path. And knowing that, we're then able to be patient in adversity. And patience, brothers and sisters, means to be long-suffering, to endure the affliction, to put up with it, and to respond in a godly way because you trust that it's from God who is at work for His good purposes. It's so easy in times of adversity to do the opposite. To become impatient. To burst out in anger and wrath. To get into fights, contentions, hatred. When your button gets pushed by your child or by your spouse, a brother or sister, a fellow worker. When people say hurtful things about you, unfair things, maybe true things but unhelpful. It seems sometimes reasonable to respond in kind, to, to give as good as you get. Even though that person hurting you is sinning, ultimately God is in control. A trapped feeling. All that difficult home life comes from Him. Patience means to trust that God knows what He is doing. And I look to Him to give me strength to walk in the Spirit. Think of those words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know not only how to abound, but also how to be abased. Remember, God is carrying out His plan toward His final goal. That's what He was doing as Job lost everything. As Joseph was sold by his, his brothers into slavery. As the Assyrians pillaged the cities of Judah. God was working towards His final goal as the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified because of the wickedness of the Jews, Herod, Pontius Pilate. God was at work. And His plan also includes His work in your life, teaching and guiding and shaping you. 
The scripture speaks about the reasons for God to let his people suffer adversity sometimes. God will teach his people to abhor sin sometime by letting them experience the consequences of sin. You insist on going your own way of not being careful. I'll let you feel what that's like and where that gets you. Also, God uses adversities to exercise his people to entrusting in him. It's like doing a workout. When you're going through difficulties, you've got to trust in the Lord and then the Lord puts another one on top and you've got to keep trusting in him. Working out his people. Suffering also helps you see God's power being great in weakness. And it could be any or all of these that God is working towards in my suffering. That's why we need to rely on him to guide us to respond in a godly way. But our difficulties never give us an excuse to react in a sinful way, losing our temper, lashing out. Congregation, ask yourself this question when you hit a difficulty, and it may be a big one. You go bankrupt. Or there's a serious illness that you've got to deal with. A relationship that breaks down. Maybe your difficulty is a smaller one. A growing incremental pressure in the workplace. A small irritation starting to get to you. Ask yourself this question. Does my reaction to this difficulty show, underline, that I believe that it's from God who's working for my good as he works out his plan? Do I believe God's providence? And secondly, confessing God's hand also works thankfulness in prosperity. That's our second part of the second point. Because sometimes things go really well in our family life. At work, you know how it goes. You make your plans and they turn out. and You get a good income. You accumulate material possessions Investment brings good returns. As a young person, you get a job and you've got an income, a regular income. Sometimes the prosperity can come as a surprise, an unexpected promotion or bonus, or your prosperity comes through your hard work. You put in the the extra hours and then the results also flow forth. But wherever it came from, It's from God. All things, good and bad, come from his hand. It's when you confess this that you're able to be thankful in prosperity. And thankful, not just being happy and satisfied with what God gives, but thankfulness is a way of life. As we use the good things God gives for the purposes that he gives them to us. Let's think about an example here. Say you know someone who's in deep financial difficulties and their house is a guarantee. They've got big, big debts and their house is a guarantee and it's not looking like they can pay. 
And so their house is going to be repossessed by the debt collectors. And you know about that. And, and you've got the means to help them out. And so you transfer some funds to them. You tell them, I know you're in a predicament and here I can help you. And you, you help them out. Cover the, the amount of their debt. And then a few weeks later you find out that their house was repossessed anyway. Turns out they spent the money you gave them on a luxury holiday to a resort, no expenses spared, and their debts remained, and so the debt collectors repossessed the house. And you had given it to them to, to help them, and they wasted it. Would have shown appreciation if they'd used it for what you'd given it to them for, to pay off their debts so they wouldn't have their house repossessed. And so the prosperity you have comes from your heavenly Father. And he's working towards his final goal, bringing his plan to completion. We spoke about that earlier. And he gives you a task in that big picture to develop this earth and the things in it to his glory, to, to help others. It's the context in which we set up and support Christian education together. A church has the task to send forth missionaries to the ends of the earth so that the nations can praise God, so that the number of the elect can be gathered in. Tasks showing kindness towards those around us, also the poor and lonely. Tasks to call back the straying. We have all the tasks that come to us as prophets, priests and kings in the service of God. And why do you receive prosperity? To carry out your tasks that God gives you. Money to support the church, schooling, other kingdom causes. The spare time to comfort and encourage the lonely, to, to share your joy, using your talents to promote the coming of God's kingdom, thinking about where he is working towards and what has he given me and how can I use what he has given me to seek the coming of his kingdom. And it's a temptation to turn our prosperity into an idol where you serve your blessings your income, you get it in and you spend it only on yourself. Your spare time is only for yourself. Your happy family life is, you're proud about that and you're reluctant to share. But that would be to deny that these good things come from God. Young people, let me ask you a question. Do you know why you have so much money to spend. Is that just the reality of living today? Or did that money come from God's hand? Also true when there's lots of spare time, healthy bodies, youthful enthusiasm. Show by the way you use these things. We don't get into all the details here, 
But to show by the way you use these things that you believe in providence, that they were given to you by God, who's working all things towards the coming of his kingdom, the fulfillment of his plan, towards that great and last glorious day. The big idol of the world today, the world around us, is the self. People are encouraged to find their own way, to discover their own fulfillment, to do their own thing. It's all about you and your self-discovery. And that's what you're uh, to spend time on. And that's promoted by advertising. Enjoy life while you're young. Buy, buy, buy. The latest gadgets, holidays, sports, entertainment, eating and drinking. One thing the advertisers won't tell you. The money you have comes from your heavenly Father so you can serve Him and His purposes. And so we can ask ourselves the question, can it be seen from the way we use our money, our possessions, our time and energy that we believe that our prosperity comes from God. What's the percentages look like on our budget between what we spend on ourselves going out and on the church and on mission work and on kingdom work? We can also think of time. There's plenty of work that needs to be done in the kingdom. Well, sometimes it's hard to find volunteers. And is that because we are so short on time? Or because we only think of ourselves and our hobbies when it comes to time. You show that you believe in God's providence by being thankful in prosperity. And finally, confessing God's fatherly hand also gives you confidence for the future. We don't know what the future holds. When it comes to inflation, interest rates, what will happen, the war between Russia and Ukraine and what will be the further consequences of that, what about the the rise of China and the implications that's going to have for our future? And we see around us a growth in expressions of of wickedness. We know the internet has many good uses. But also it comes with many perversions. And the modern media push the limits of what's acceptable, appropriate. Where will it end? And how are we going to raise our children in a world like that? What about Sunday work? What kind of pressure will come against us on that score? Or the woke ideology that you you meet in workplaces more and more? The corporate thinking? And will it become harder and harder for us to work in many places? Questions we cannot answer because we don't know what the future holds. But here too, confessing God's providence is full of benefit. Whatever comes, it will be from our heavenly Father's hand. As he works out his plan to his final goal, the coming of the kingdom. 
The kings of the earth, they can rage against the Lord's anointed. The devil and the world can devise strategies against God's word and his people. Making it harder to train the next generation according to his word. But it's all going to be to no avail. You are safe in your father's hand. I think of those evil things that happen in the life of Job. And yet Satan could do no more than God allowed at a particular time. God will work out his plan to his appointed goal. That's your confidence for the future. I think back to what we read from Proverbs chapter 10. The desires of the righteous will be granted as they look for the coming of his kingdom, the glory of his name, the fulfillment of his plan. And you can therefore do your task with peace and contentment. Focus on doing God's will, each in his place, and leave the outcome to God. Witness to your political leaders. Confess Christ's name and God's will in a degenerate society. Faithfully have children, raise them, make plans for the future. Whether the country becomes more corrupt or not, whatever comes, from Father's hand, you can be confident. Confessing God's providence gives quiet confidence because then you feel safe. You don't know what's coming. And sometimes you can have those questions, what if this or what if that? How will I cope? God's in control. He's carrying out his plan. It will come to its final completion and he's busy working with me as he gets to that point. Panicking and worrying is to refuse to let our confession rule our life that God is in control. A doctrine of God's fatherly hand that all things come from him is clear enough. But it's easy to deny it by the way we live. Congregation is the way of the flesh to react in sinful ways to difficulties. It's the way of the flesh to be thankless idolaters in prosperity. It's the way of the flesh to become nervous wrecks about the future. By the power of the Holy Spirit, confess God's providence and seek from that same Spirit to equip you to live out of your confession. Amen.